I want to thank the Lord for the opportunity to be here tonight. I want to thank you for being here tonight. And it's a Wednesday night. I know we are, our weeks are busy and we're tired. And it's a different season now than we've ever been in before. We were raised with the mindset that if you're sick, you go to work unless you're dead. And now we have to change everything. If you've got the sniffles and you walk into Walmart, you're going to get lysol I mean, it's just... Um, it's, it's gotten so backwards now from what we're used to that we have to be retrained that, hey, if you have the sniffles or a cough, uh, you could just have the sniffles and cough, but you've got to just uh, take such precautions. So in this day and age we're in right now, it is a little different. So I'm glad that you're here tonight. We want to pray for our health of our church as we get ready for the revival week. Uh, Ron Comfort called yesterday and was like, are you guys still having revival? And uh, pastor said, we are if you're coming. He goes, well, if the doors are open, I'm coming. Now, he's in his 80s. I'm not sure his exact age, 83 or 87. I'm not, I think it's 83. That's the number that popped in my brain. And uh, he said, if the Lord wants to take me home with the coronavirus, I'm ready. And if he doesn't, I'm perfectly safe. Wow, what a, what a comment. What a, what a great comment. What a great thought that you know, we don't have to live in fear. We need to live with precautions. We need to live with using the wisdom that we have. But what a great mindset to have that we don't have to live in fear uh, of this, uh, what's going on around us. So with that in mind, and the fact that we are kicking off a revival meeting on Sunday, I had this thought, and this lesson was actually, I put this together uh, two years ago when Ron Comfort was here last time. And I used it in a Bible class and haven't touched it since then. Last weekend, I was looking for a file, a video file about revival, and I did a search, and this was still on my hard drive, and I came across it, and I looked at it and kind of was like, what's that? No, yeah, that's there. And then um, found out last night, yesterday, late afternoon, that uh, I had an opportunity to use it. So I thought, Lord, you must want me to use it because... It's been there, and I haven't touched it, and now here it is. So as we're going into revival, what is revival? It's like asking a child if they want something, and they don't know what it is, and they're like, I'll take it. So tonight I just want to take a few moments and do more of a lesson than a sermon and take a classroom approach of what is revival. If I went around the room and asked each of you what revival is, um, we're going to have a lot of different answers. So we're going to start in Psalms 138. And then I'm going to launch from there, and we're going to tackle some other scripture tonight to go with these um, descriptions, if you will, or, or characteristics of revival. And, and then at the end, we're going to look at God's formula. What does God say revival is? Because it doesn't matter what we say. If it's not what God says, we're wrong, right? So we're going to look and see what's the formula. What does God say the formula for revival is? And, and then we'll go from there. Um, if you've already filled your paper out because you think you know all the answers, just sit quietly and listen. But uh, let's jump into Psalm 138. Um, the verses will be up on the screen. Um, verse number one, I will praise thee uh, with my whole heart before the gods. Will I sing? That's little g. Um, will I s- go back one? Uh, will I sing praise unto thee? I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness. Uh, for that, for and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. In the day when I cried, thou answerest me and strengthenest me with, my, with strength in my soul. All the kings of the earth shall praise thee, O Lord, when, my, when they hear the words of thy mouth. Yea, they shall bring in the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. Through the Lord be high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly. 
but the proud he knoweth afar off. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. Thou wilt stretch forth thy hand against the wrath of my enemies, and thy right hand shall save me. The Lord will perfect that which concerneth thee, me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endureth forever. Forsake not the work of thy own hand. In verse number 7, it talks about this work of revival that God was going to give. And it really makes you think, well, what is this revival that God's gives? What does it mean to be revived? What, what, is that, what does that even entail? So as we jump in tonight, I just want you to have that thought. What is revival? Let's pray and we'll kick off. Father, we thank you for the night. Again, we thank you for the opportunity to be here. We thank you for those who could be here and for those who could not. Lord, keep your hand upon them. The health needs, again, the many that we prayed for uh, and we, we shared requests tonight that you know about. Uh, Lord, uh, we just ask again, Lord, as we go into this time of revival, we pray tonight you'd answer the question for each of us, what is revival? What does it mean to us? What does it mean to you? So, Lord, I pray you give us answers tonight. We'll praise you for it. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. I, I, I looked for definitions of revival, and there are a number of ways to describe it. So uh, these are not in your paper yet. you got a little bit of time. But on, um, on the screen, I'm going to give you some what some men of God through the years have said about revival. And I just found a, a, a handful of quotes and put it up there. So let me go through these quickly. Uh, the first one, God's quickening visitation of his people, touching their hearts and deepening his work of grace in their lives. The next one, extraordinary season of religious interest. People getting drawn to something. The next one, the sovereign act of God in which he restored his own backsliding people to repentance, faith, and obedience. The next one, times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. Next one, the awakening or quickening of God's people to their true nature and purpose. The return of the church from her backsliding and the conversion of sinners. An extraordinary movement of the Holy Spirit producing extraordinary results. A community saturated with God. The work of the Holy Spirit in restoring the people of God to a more virtual, spiritual, a vital spiritual life, witness and work by prayer and the word after repentance in crisis for their spiritual decline. Wow, those, that's a lot. And if I asked each one of you in the room what's your definition of revival, you could be as flowery and elegant as some of these men, or you could just have a simple definition, but I bet we could get 40 or 50 different definitions in here if we really wanted to, couldn't we? And a lot of that's based on what you know about the Bible and your experience with, with revival. Is revival just a meeting? Is revival a, a time to come together as a church and focus on something? Um, I thought about this when I was um, studying my notes. To you, is revival a car wash or a paint job? We can go through the car wash and make, the, make it look clean, you know, at least try to get the dirt off of it, but a paint job, we're going to start fresh. So which is it? Where are we at? And as we're going into Sunday, if we haven't answered these questions as a church, is God ready to give us anything that we don't know what we're even asking for? God, would you just give us something? Um, I think God wants us to um, be really sensitive to what he wants to give us. But if we don't ask the question, are we even seeking it? And so tonight as we go into this, I, I want to give you a couple of things. I, I can tell you, though, I, I, I do believe this. I, don't, I, I believe that revival is not a checklist. 
Because if God gave us a checklist in the Bible, we would all do it. And pretty soon that checklist would become checkboxes. Came to church, wore a tie, said the right things, sang a song, I gave, I did. And pretty soon we're going through the motions of a checklist and God knows how we're wired because he wired us. So he created us to like checklists. We like having people tell us what to do. We follow instructions. Okay, men, we don't follow instructions, but ladies, you follow those instructions. But we do like checklists. Did you know that, um, I, haven't che- I didn't check this today, uh, but years ago I did, a, I did a little bit of research on this. After the Bible, what's the, what's the top two selling types of books after the Bible in the secular world? Cookbooks and diet books. Tell me how to make it, tell me how to lose it. We, we understand nutrition, but we like having those checklists that we can follow to help us accomplish something, don't we? We're wired that way, and God knows that, and so God didn't give us a checklist for revival because if he did, we'd all be checking it off every week. And when I needed to go through the car wash, I would just go check those boxes and feel like I went through the car wash and everything was good. And God's saying, no, 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 no. I I don't want you to go through the car wash. I want to give you a paint job. The paint's looking dull. It's been scratched up. I want to just paint the whole vehicle, and let's make it look fresh. That's what, to me, revival looks like. So I'm going to give you a couple of things in your paper, and uh, we'll jump in on the first one here, and let's just see what revival is. So what is revival? Definition. Number one, the definition of uh, revival or the spiritual awakening. Definition. And here it is on the next slide. You'll see it up there, so don't panic. An improvement in the condition or strength of something, an instance of something becoming popular, active, or important again. So those two words should be on your on your. Um, for you, an improvement in the condition or something becoming important again. And if you stop and think about it, that definition does fit what we're talking about for revival. If you're a Christian, we want to have improvement in our spiritual life and we want things of God to be important again if they're not or if they've lessened importance. And you say, well, how do I know if I need revival? Let me just give you a little test right here. Are you breathing? We need revival. We say about backsliding, if we've ever been closer to God than we are right now, then we've gone backwards. Where revival is just that refreshing. Maybe you are just plugged in and and you and God got got a good thing going right now in your relationship and you feel like, oh, you know what? God says it's not a destination that you're going to get to. It's a journey and I want to keep growing you and keep growing you and revival is that chance to just refresh. And we're going to see that to the end, but it's, it's a way to make things important again. Secondly, on your paper, let me give you the distinctiveness, the distinctiveness of revival. What is true revival? What is it really, what is, what's distinct about it and what's, what makes it stand out? Let me give you that first one there, uh, letter A. It raises the esteem of Jesus. It raises the esteem of Jesus, the value or importance of Jesus. What does that mean? It means it's not man. It's not the preacher. It's not the evangelist. It's not the TV guy. It is Jesus. It focuses on what God did for you and your understanding that without that, you were doomed. You were lost and now you're found. That's what that means. It raises up Jesus and not you and not anybody else. True revival focuses on what God has done not what we're doing here in church. 
And if revival is going to be true, it's not going to focus on any individual. God will use a man of God. He'll use you in somebody's life, but it focuses on God, not, not us. So it raises the esteem of Jesus. Letter B, Satan's kingdom suffers. Genuine repentance upsets this kingdom that Satan tries to have and his, his dominion and, and trying to stop people from coming to a knowledge of Christ and trying to stop you from living for Christ. See, the devil's lost a Christian. He can't have them, but he can stop them. He can make them ineffective for God. And an ineffective Christian, he doesn't have to worry about. So God's saying, hey, what, what does it look like? It, true revival, it raises up Jesus and it, and it hurts Satan. Let her see, men and women have a greater response to Scripture. What does that look like? It means what the Bible says we do. And the things that we struggle with, we don't struggle as much because we've given in to it and said, you know what? The Bible says it, I'm going to do it. The Bible says don't do it, I'm not going to do it. You know what else it means? When the Holy Spirit's convicting because of a message that you hear from a pastor or from a, a guest speaker, that you're sensitive to that. And how does that apply to my life? What does that look like? Being sensitive to the scripture just means what God wants, he's given us, and he wants us to live it. Letter D. Men and women will see more clearly spiritual truth and error. And I wrote beside this discernment. They'll see more clearly. We see more clearly. Because we know what the Bible says, we know if it's true or not. How do I know everything that guy said on TV says is true? Or how do I know that uh, this teaching is false? If I, haven't, if I don't know what the truth is, I have nothing apparent to. So when you are seeking God in revival, um, we're studying and we're, we're sensitive to the scripture. It helps us discern what God said is true and what else is out there that's false. We can make things sound really good, but it doesn't make it true, does it? Letter E, there will be a new sense of love toward God and others. Ooh, this is a hard one. When, it's, when, when our world gets so busy, it's about us, and we get wrapped up in us, it's real hard to, to show the love of God. Revival makes you sensitive to God, to his leading, and it also makes us sensitive to the people around us and in our world. You will care about people differently when you're focused on God because you'll care less about yourself. You'll want to be used by God instead of just wanting it to be about you. This can be tough for us because we can get wrapped up real easy, and it does become about us. And God's saying revival means you love like I love. And you say, I can't love that way. You're right. The only way we can love like God loves is to let him love through us and let him do it. Revival is letting God love through us the way that he loves people. Does God love politicians? He does. I'm just, yeah. <laughs> he does. Do we love all politicians? I don't like what they stand for sometimes, but God said... They're fearfully and wonderfully made, and I died for them too. And, and I'm using that as an example because that's a real sensitive thing right now. We have seen uh, just on social media, someone posts something, and the eruption of post underneath a comment has turned into this family bickering and fighting, and you're like, what just happened there? You know, God loves all men, and he wants you to love like he loves. And if you say, I'm not going to do it, or I can love these people, but not these people. 
That's not revival. That's not what revival looks like. If you struggle and you say, God, you know I struggle with loving so-and-so or a group of people, then ask God to help you with that. Say, you know what, God, I do struggle, so can you just help me with this? So the distinctiveness, um, it, it points to Jesus. Satan's kingdom suffers. We're sensitive to Scripture. Uh, we, we have discernment, uh, better discernment, and we love like God loves. That's what I see revival bringing and doing in the lives of God's children. Number three. You guys are like, man, we're flying through this. This is great. <laughs> Number three. The depiction of revival, um, what does it look like? This is going to be uh, a tough one because here's the problem. If I told you what revival looked like, you would base Sunday's checklist on what I'd give you tonight. And I'm not going to do that, but I am going to talk about some things. But remember, what you and God deal with may not be what the person next to you is dealing with. Revival is a community event in a church, but it's also an individual event because you are the church. You bring something to this group because you're part of the body. And God is saying, I want to deal with you, uh, and I'm going to deal with the person next to you, but if it looks different for them, it's okay. In our life group, we've been studying about being different from everyone. We have found out we're all very different, and some of us are way different. But we're all different, and we're all made different on purpose because God is not a God who's just plain. God has creativity beyond our imagination. And if you don't believe me, look around the room. We, we, we know God's creative, and we know God gives us uh, so many differences, but revival, he wants us to have a focus on him, a direction, but it's different for what we're dealing with in our lives for each other. So when I give you this one, um, we're going to go to Isaiah chapter 6. And you guys probably could quote all eight of these verses. But I want you to see it. I'm going to put the verses on the screen. But these are verses that you should go back and really see and examine and apply. Isaiah here is being used in chapter 6. And he has a vision. And, and, and just about every... Um, Revival service, missions conference, I've heard in my life has this tied into it somehow. And it's no different because it's still true tonight. But if you would, let's go through and we're going to read these first eight verses. Verse number one, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he did cover his face, with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried to another and said, holy, holy, holy. Just stop right there for a second. I mean, just let that sink in for just a second. These angels have one job. In their whole creative universe, they have one job, and that's to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Do you know why? Because he is. And God's telling, giving us this vision that Isaiah has to remind us, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the smoke was filled with house. Uh, the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. 
And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched my lip, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. And I heard a voice. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I. Send me. Isaiah here has given us this vision that God gave him. And the reaction of chapter 6 sounds amazing, and it is. But have you read chapter 5? In chapter 5, Isaiah was going around with his woe labeler, and he was labeling everybody else. Woe, man, woe, man, woe, man, woe, 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 woe unto them, woe unto them. He was labeling everybody, and he was pointing out stuff that needed to be labeled. He was, it's, it's, chapter 5 lays it out all the times that he is pointing things out that are true, but he was pointing out everybody else. And then we come to chapter 6, and he sees God, and all of a sudden it's different, isn't it? It's not about everybody else anymore. Now it's individualized. Now it's personal, and God's got his attention. Let me give you a couple of things I see in this, this, this reference here. A, the need for a fresh touch from God. The first part of verse number one, in the, in the year King Uzziah died, um, th- there's a transition going on. All, all this is happening in, in, in the life and times of Isaiah. And, and there's a need for this repainting of the car. Because Isaiah's walking around going, whoa, man, whoa, man, whoa, man, whoa, man. And, and he's being the prophet. He's being, he's being the man of God. But he's not looking inside at all in chapter 5. He's looking around at everything around him. Letter B. God as he really is. From, chat, from the rest of verse 1 to, to verse number 4, we see that with the seraphims. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. God as he really is. Letters, uh, letter C. Our sinfulness and need of cleansing is mentioned in verse number 5. Then said I, woe is me. Listen, you cannot, I, I, I would argue this with you tonight, I don't think it's possible for you to experience revival from God without having an understanding of what's in your life. God, I want revival, but I'm not going to deal with my heart. God, I want revival in our church, but for everybody else, and I'll just ride that train. God, I I want you to do something in our church, but I don't want it to be with me. What stops us from being honest with God? I'll make this a Jeopardy moment. I'll just stand here for a second and listen for answers. What stops us from being honest with God? Have you ever just... Mm. Say it loud. I heard the magic word. Pride, that's a magic word, isn't it? Pride stops us from being honest with God, and God knows our heart. He already knows what's going on. He, he doesn't need us to hide it because we can't hide it from God. And God's saying, just be honest and open and surrendered, and we're like, I'm not going to surrender that one room in my heart. I'm keeping that one, but the rest of it you can have. God says, I, I, don't, want, I don't want part of your heart. I want, I want the whole thing. And God's saying for revival, it's got to be the whole thing. It's, it's not about you going around to help everybody else with their sin and point it out to them and to deal with it with them. It's about you dealing with yours. And it's going to be different for each one of us. There are things in, in your heart that are different from the things in my heart. And God's saying, hey, church, I want to deal with you. I want to help you. I, I want to I just pour this on top of you. But we've got to deal with this. And this is individual. 
Isaiah, when confronted with God, when he saw God, his vision went inward. And immediately he examined his own heart. Letter D, God's gracious provision. It talks about the angel coming down. I used to, as a, as a child, if you have an imagination, when you read the Bible, have an imagination and really picture these, these stories. The, the angel coming with the coal and the tongs and touching his mouth with it. And man, as a child, you're like, whoa, what's going on here? And as an adult, I'm still like, whoa, what's going on here? Because... But what a vision, what a, what a symbol it gives us, what the symbolization of this, about the, the sin being purged. And, and he, when Isaiah was saying, woe unto me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. And the angel's like, I can fix that. We'll take care of that right now. And what did he say after he touched it to his lips? Purged. What's that a picture of today? Do you know what it takes for you to get forgiveness from God? Just ask but you don't know how bad I've been this week. Just ask. But you don't know what I did. Just ask. Does the Bible tell us that anywhere? Yeah, if we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's like a whiteboard and the angels are writing your sins down on your whiteboard in heaven. Some of you got a big whiteboard and you know, the long ones, the extra long, and the angels are just writing those sins down. And when you say, God i got to make it right with you. Would you forgive me? They erase the board. And the next day, if you do the same sin that you just prayed about, and you, you say, God, I, I did it again, it's like God saying, did what again? I see it on the board once. What are you talking about? Let's erase it. You, you, you've got your heart settled. Let's go. See, God says you can start fresh, but you have to ask for it. But God's gracious to give it to you. God doesn't make you suffer when you ask forgiveness. Now, there are consequences for our choices that we make, but God's saying, when you ask for forgiveness, I give it to you. And then we see here, we get to verse number 8, and after all this has happened, now we see a letter E, the mission. God says, okay, now i got a question for you. Who will go? Who will go? See, all that time in chapter 5, he's walking around, woe unto them, woe unto them, woe unto them, woe unto them, and God's saying, now who's going to go talk to them? Who's going to go preach to them? And we see the mission, and then letter F, we respond with joyful obedience. Here am I. Lord, here, Lord, here send me. Well, before he was talking about, do uh, you remember the story, remember thinking about Jonah? I can never read this without thinking about Jonah, because Jonah was like the pastor. He was the preacher. He was the evangelist of the day. He was going around preaching and doing what God wanted to do, and God said, I want you to go down there now. And, and he said, no, I can't go there. And he disobeyed God. And God's like, no, no, I want you to go there. And, and, and God had to punish him. And God got his attention, didn't he? Because he came out of that well, and, and there's, there's only so many ways out. And the well spit him up, on, you know, boom, and there he is. And I'm sure he looked really unique. And he finally he did what God told him to do, and there was great revival in the city because the man of God obeyed. But here we see Isaiah going, hey, hey Lord, send me. The, 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 the response with joyful obedience. Do you know what keeps people from being joyful and obedient to what God wants? This is what I think. I, I have felt this for a number of years. I think we're scared people are going to send us, that God would send us to Africa. I think, it, I think Christians believe if I, get, if I surrender my heart to God, he's going to make me go to Africa. Can I just tell you something? If Africa's not in your heart, 
you're probably not going to Africa because God's not going to call you where he doesn't want you to be. He's going to put you where he wants you. And if he wants you in Africa, you won't want to be anywhere else. So don't be scared about what God has for you. Don't be nervous about surrender and what God may ask you to do because he'll give you the desire that he wants you to have and you'll want to do it and nothing else will matter. I joined the Air Force as a shortcut for college and there was no chance I was going to speak in public, ever. But I remember the service, Maranatha Baptist Church, on a Sunday night in Okinawa, Japan, and a man was preaching. It may have been Don Sisk. I don't know if it was, so I can't say it was him. Uh, but I, he, he came every year to our church and preached. I just don't remember if it was him that, on this sermon. But a man preached a sermon on, are you giving your all? And I rem- remember sitting there going, I'm not giving my all. I could give more. I could do more. I, I'm, I'm kind of doing very little right now. Am I... Am I doing my all? Well, I went and I've told some of you the story. I went and to the Sunday school superintendent and said, hey, you guys have been begging for help for workers. I could be a worker. You know what the worker does? Kicks them back in class. That's all he does is keep them in bounds. He's like the goalkeeper. and uh, It's just like a soccer goalkeeper to me. Just keep the kids in bounds and let the teacher do his job. So I said, hey, I'll be a helper. I was gone for two weeks. I came back. And uh, at the end of two weeks, uh, I went to church the next Sunday. I saw Mike, and I said, hey, Mike, um, I'm back. Where, where, where am I going to help you at? He said, you're going to teach first and second grade. I said, no, no, I'm going to be a helper. He said, yeah, you're helping me. You're teaching first and second grade. And he gave me a helper who was a bigger introvert than I was. And Dan was a great guy, but Dan wouldn't even look at you. He looked at your shoes. That's how, he knew he, that's how you knew he was like engaged, I guess, because he didn't look at you. And so Dan and I took first and second grade and... From that, I developed a love for teaching. Not for kids, for teaching. And then from that, I moved up to the high school kids when we were back in North Carolina, and I was teaching with high school, and I started teaching, substituting in the adult class. And, and I, I, the Air Force took me to a job where I was teaching uh, adults, and I, I love adult education because usually you're engaged pretty much um, because you want to be here. Um, well, how did that happen? It didn't happen because I said, Lord, I want to do something I don't like to do. It just happened because I said, Lord, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. And this week, God's going to ask you, are you willing to do whatever I want you to do? And if the answer is no, that's not revival. Revival comes with a surrender. God, you know me. You know my weaknesses. You designed me, but I can do all things through Christ. So I'm going to trust you on that. And if you want me to do it, I'll let you do it through me. Number four. Now we get into the good stuff. Number four, the dare of revival. I'm like, dare? What's this? Are you challenging God for revival? Uh, yeah, I kind of am. Look at Psalm 139. I think that we've got the verses up there. Don't? Yeah, i got the verses up there. Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. I'm going to leave this verse up here for just a moment. Search me, O God. When was the last time you asked God to search? That's like having someone to your house and not sitting in the living room. That's like saying, hey, I'm going to sit here and you just go wander around and look wherever you want to look. Open closets, open the drawers. You can do whatever you want. I'm just going to sit here and let you have, have at it. 
How many of you have guests to your house and just give them free reign to go open anything they want to open? How many of you would feel comfortable with that? Well, that's what, that's what this verse is saying is, God, I'm giving you every room of the house to go explore. And if you find something that needs cleaning, let's clean it. Because I cleaned up the front room. I cleaned the room that you see. I, I, I cleaned the room that everybody sees the, from the street, that, that living room that has the white furniture, the white carpet that no one's supposed to sit in. Um, we clean that room, and we keep it clean. But that back room or that back closet, I don't, I, I don't clean that out. That's got stuff in it I shouldn't have in it. So I, I don't clean that out. And God's saying, I'll go search the house. If you let me, I will. And so here in Psalms, David, when we, when we see this, is saying, search me and know my heart. God, you know what's in there already. Would you bring it to my attention and let's deal with it? I've struggled with this, God, but I want to give it to you. And, and listen, maybe there's something in there that you don't even know is a hindrance or maybe you don't know it was a problem and you're saying, God, would you search it out and bring it to my uh, knowledge so that we can deal with it now? If it's hindering my walk with you, if it's hindering my, my growth, if it's hindering my relationships with others, God, would you bring it up to light so we can deal with it? That's a big step. What is it that we're hiding? Or what is it that we tucked away? Or what is it that we're not wanting to deal with? God's saying revival comes when we deal with that. But, but I'm doing pretty good. I've got 99% of everything else is covered just this one little thing. God's saying, we got to deal with this one little thing. Revival doesn't come for partial commitment. It comes with a, a complete commitment. So God's saying, would you take the dare challenge and say, search me, oh God. Would you ask God to do a work in your heart before Sunday and say, let's go through here and take this challenge. And just sit back and wait. And maybe it's not immediate. Maybe you're like, I don't know what he's going to show me. But just pray the prayer and ask God to show it to you and then be sensitive to what he brings up to your mind. What he brings to, your, to, to light, let's deal with it. Search me, O oh God. Psalm 103, verse 3. I've got it on the screen there. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. Aren't you glad Look at this phrase, if you would. The pardoning mercy of God makes way for the healing mercy of God. The pardoning mercy of God makes way for the healing mercy of God. What allows us to come before God with our sin and our faults and our shortcomings is the fact that we can trust that he is a God of mercy who has paid the price for our sin and is willing to forgive us. Do you know if we didn't have those things covered, why would you want to go before God? God said, you can come before me and ask, and I will forgive you because I am a God of mercy. God loves us. God wants to have this relationship with us. He wants you to have the victorious Christian life. He wants you to live a life that he's created for you. I told the, our life group class uh, Sunday, God, it's kind of like life is like a GPS with God. God has a destination he wants you to get to, and he's going to say, um, Doc, turn right, take the next right. And Doc has a decision to make, doesn't he? Doc can turn right and follow the path that God wants in his life. The Holy Spirit said, Doc, turn right, and he can follow that path, or he can just keep going straight and miss the turn. And he could go miles or blocks or days or weeks or years and never turn right. But the beauty of God is he allows us to get back on track. 
The difference is we can't get that time back. I could have turned right. I could have been there in 30 minutes. Now I'm going to be 30 days. You see where the, the example there is just that simple. I think God directs us and he wants us to go where he wants us to go. But we get to make the choice whether we follow it or not. So um, the pardoning mercy allows me to come before God and say, God, I, I failed you. I'm, I'm, I messed up really bad. I chose really poorly. And God's saying, I know. I love you. I forgive you. This, this phrase, this, uh, this verse here, I, I want to just read, um, if I could. This is out of a commentary I was reading, and this, I, I came across this with this passage. And I, I felt like I, I just want to read and just share what they wrote to help explain what my heart felt about that verse, about searching, asking God to search our hearts. He desires, the the person who's asking, he desires that as far as he was in the wrong, God would discover it to him. Those that are upright can take comfort in God's omniscience as a witness of their uprightness and and, and can with a humble confidence beg him to search and try them to discover them to themselves. For a good man desires to know the worst of himself and to discover them to others. He that means honestly could wish he had a window that if any man could look in his heart. Lord, I hope that I am not in a wicked way, but see if there's any wicked way in me. Any corrupt inclination remaining. Let me see it and root it out of me. For I do not allow it. He desires that as far as he was in the right, he might be forwarded uh, forwarded in it, that he, which he that knows the heart, knows how to do it effectively. God knows how to forgive. God knows how to search your heart. He knows how you're created. He knows how you're wired. He knows your strengths. He knows your weaknesses. And he says, hey, I, I, I want to help you here. I, I want to do this. And I love the way they said that about the fact that we want this God to make us known to ourselves. God, would you... Would you bring this to light and show it to me so we can deal with this? What we're saying with that, what does it mean? It means I don't want anything to stand between me and God. That's revival. I don't want there to be anything that hinders my relationship with God or my walk with God. Number five, the delay of revival. The delay of revival. When does God give revival? What's the time frame for revival? Is there a time frame for revival? If, if, if you pray today, when would you get it? Does it come in the mail? Is it three days, overnight? How does this work? You know, God says, revival, all the things I want to give you, I'm going to make you the variable. And you get to choose if it's delayed or not. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, we go to um, this idea, and we're going to, look at, we're going to look at this, how can we not delay it would be a, probably a better approach to this. But um, So how should we prepare for revival to make sure that we're not the one delaying it. How should we prepare? Well, we got to look at 2 Chronicles 7.14, and all of you could quote this verse, I'm sure, tonight. Many of you have seen this most of your life, and, and, and you could probably just read it off or, or say it to me. But if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way. We just had that in, in Psalm 103. Hey, God, search me for any wicked way. So if I turn from that, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins 
and we'll hear the land. We, we talk about this. We say, America needs this. America needs this. Yeah, America does need this. But it starts with God's children doing this for America. It starts with God's children doing this in their heart that if they're humbled, because Amanda said pride, opposite of being humbled is being proud. So when, when I humble myself before God, I take myself off of the equation. I take myself off that soapbox and say, God, um, before you, I, I, I just I give it to you. Let's deal with it. Let's do it. Help me, help me just do this and not go back there. Help me do this and not do those things. God, help. would you help me? If my people, that's Christians, shall humble themselves. So what's the formula for revival? Here it is, God's formula, if then. It's that simple. God's formula is if then. If you're a computer programmer or a coder, um, this makes great sense because you use this all the time. If this is true, then this will happen or do this. Parents, we do this all the time. If you do your chores, you can stay up late. If you do this, we'll do this. We, we do if-thens all the time. And God says, if my children, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves, God's saying, if you do these things, then I'll do this. Forgive your sins, heal your land. So God's formula for revival is not a checklist, it's an if-then. It's simply, if you want revival, it's between you and God. It's surrender. It's my whole heart. And God says, we do that then I'll give you revival. And if everyone in Bible Baptist would do that, what would, it, what would it do? What would it look like? I don't know. I don't think anybody would know. It'd be special. It'd be big. There's a pastor in North Carolina who pastored a church for 50 years. I got to meet him and talk to him. 50 years as a senior pastor. In 50 years, he said, I have one regret of being a pastor. In 1991, he held a tent revival meeting with a well-known evangelist. The first couple nights, the meeting grew and people made decisions for God and surrendered and got their hearts right. And they started bringing people to the tent. They were going home after the service and grabbing people and saying, please don't leave. And they would go get family members and friends and bring them back to the tent after the service was over just so they could, hey, you got to meet this guy and talk to him. And people started doing that the first week and the pastor extended the meeting for a second week. The evangelist stayed. They, they did a second week and God moved the entire week. And at the end of the week, the evangelist was scheduled to be somewhere that third week and the pastor said, we, gotta, we just got to stop this meeting. And he said, in 50 years, I have one regret. I stopped the revival. God was doing something and I stopped it. I hope no one would ever want to say, God was doing something and I stopped it. But what God cares about is what you allow right here. And are we going to stop it or not? So what does Sunday look like for us? We're going to sing. The choir is going to sing. We're going to have a guest speaker. God's saying, hey, it's about me and you. If then, let's deal with it. So between now and Sunday, 
That's got to be the invitation. We got time between now and Sunday. God, would you search my heart? God, would you deal with it? Would you help me deal with it? Remove those wicked ways. Put me on the right path. And let's have revival at Bible Baptist. Father, we thank you for the night. Lord, again, as we look at what revival is, what it's not, Lord, I just pray that you'd make it simple to us. Uh, Lord, help us to understand that you've given us the formula that if we surrender, you're faithful and you've promised that you will forgive our sins. Lord, you'll guide us, direct us. You'll, you'll give us the path that we can have this revival with you. Uh, Lord, individually, that the, the flame can be rekindled if it's dull. Lord, uh, if, if, if there's something in our life that's hindering it, allow us tonight to be surrendered to it. Lord, make us sensitive to that. Allow us to be sensitive to your working through the Holy Spirit. Uh, allow us to understand what you want to do in our lives. Lord, I'll, I'll give us a desire. Allow us to see and have a taste for it. Uh, Lord, help us not to be scared of what you want for us. Help us to embrace it. Lord, that we can know for fact that you designed our life. It's the perfect life. And you just asked us to surrender to it. Lord, I pray for our church. I do pray that as a people, you'll give us a heart for revival. That you'll use Ron Comfort as he preaches. But it'll be because the Holy Spirit's working in the hearts and lives of your people. Lord, we love you. We look forward to what you're going to do. We're excited about the week to come. And I pray again, you'll, you'll just put a hedge of protection around each of our families. Strengthen our pastor. Put a hedge of protection around him. Lord, uh, just bind Satan from this property. Would you allow us to just hear from you and apply it to our lives that we may live it? And we'll give you all the praise for it. For it's your name we pray. Amen.